Um, you know, the brain is like an ocean and the thoughts and the ego are just the ripples on the surface of the ocean. And we tend to see these ripples on the surface of the ocean and we buy into them and we think, oh, this is, you know, this is a reality. It's, 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 you know, it's unpredictable. It's, you know, it's tough. There's big shifts and waves and they, they push us up and pull us down. But the truth is that we are not the waves on the surface of the ocean. We are the vast consciousness uh, beneath the surface. Okay. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy. I'm your host, as usual. Um, and this Undo Anxiety thing uh, is based on the idea that most of the anxiety, fear, and worry that we suffer is, by and large, unnecessary if we are willing to examine and limit the role that fear, judgment, and today, ego play in our lives. And, um, and to the to the point of ego, um, I am thrilled to welcome my, my guest, James McRae. James, welcome, man. Hey, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, James is, to, by way of a brief introduction, James is the author of uh, a book called Shit Your Ego Says. Um, and, uh, and we'll get to how you came up with that title. Uh, but first, uh, do you mind telling us the story of, you know, how you have this kind of origin story for this book that is striking. Do you mind kind of introducing us to it, the whole idea just a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love the idea of, a, of an origin story because I feel like a comic book character now, <laughs> there you uh, go, man. Which, is, which is perfect. <laughs> Super McCoy. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so basically, you know, a little bit about my background. Uh, you know, I, I was, uh, as I was just telling you before we went live, you know, I'm from uh, the Midwest, uh, from Minnesota, and um, you know, was always you know involved in creative endeavors as a kid, and you know, was really you know dedicated to exploring imagination and creativity. And uh, I think that's normal for children is to kind of have that imaginative, um, you know, creative, inspiring way of thinking. And what happened to me is what, you know, happens, I think, to most people when they reach a certain age, whether it's, you know, going to college or graduating from college and getting their first job. Uh, you know, the pressures of the world around us and the pressures of living up to expectations within society. Uh, we tend to, you know, forsake uh, our creativity. We tend to forsake our imagination and we get locked into, uh, you know, really our egos, which are pushing us into conformity, into the status quo, uh, into living, you know, uh, in a reactionary method rather than a, a creative method. And uh, what happened to me was I, I, I kind of identified that this was happening to me. I was, you know, um, moving my way up in my career. I was, um, you know, climbing the ladder in corporate advertising and everything was going well for me. Um, but, you know, despite the success I was having, I was uh, essentially I was miserable uh, and I was experiencing a lot of the anxiety that, you know, that you tend to talk about. So uh, I knew I needed to make a change. And, um, you know, I, so I, I knew I needed to take some kind of a leap of faith and really get back to my roots and my origin of, you know, like being at home with my creativity and allowing myself to live 
um, that way as opposed to just reacting to you know what was around me. So can I interrupt it, you there for just yeah. a second, James? Yeah. So that just that is such a a bold move to make that so many of us as adults never make, right? You know, um, and I had I had a similar thing happen in my life where I had to make this kind of bold move and change my life entirely. How was was there an event that took place that that you know? drove that in you and, and kind of brought that idea of that childlike creativity back into your into the forefront of your mind or um, was were you anxious at work or what, what what drove that? Because on paper you were killing it, right? You were doing really yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of things. I mean I think that I, I was anxious at work. I think so many people are. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I, I, I just, I felt like I had had enough and, and what I did, and I think this is very important to do and something I still do on a regular basis is basically make a projection of my own life, you know, five to 10 years in the future and evaluate my decisions based on 10 years out. So yeah. if I am on, if I continue on my current trajectory today, you know, what will my life look like in 10 years? Got it. If that's a place I want to be, then, you know, fantastic. Keep going. But if you can kind of see that there's going to be, you know, dead ends or, you know, you're going to be painting yourself into a corner or you can, you know, just anticipate that you're going to be in a place that's not desirable 10 years from now. Uh, it's so important to make drastic change. And it just so happened that leading directly up to my uh, move to New York City, uh, I was actually uh, had a girlfriend that left me, ah. <laughs> <laughs> which which was the final you know kick in the ass that I needed right. to be like I need to leave this town I need to make a change. Um, so it's funny how you know that those painful situations can somehow be catalysts for you know for transformation and for action. Right. So instead of just kind of like drawing down into depression, you decided to to make a move. Get my butt moving, exactly. Yes. And, and, and rather, <laughs> rather broadly, like a big move, huh? Not just, uh, not just shifting careers, but you, you left the cocoon of of Minneapolis, yeah. Yeah, I kind of let it all go. Gave up my apartment, quit my job. You know, you know, said goodbye to all my my friends. I had been living there for, um, you know, over a decade. So it was it was a big change. Um, did, did you, you meet, know, did you meet yeah. resistance along the way? Were there people telling you, James? You've got this great job in advertising. You're doing so well. Why would you want to leave this? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think my parents even were a little bit, you know, worried about the move, thought it was maybe too risky. Uh, I had friends that joked about how I would be, you know, um, you know, sleeping in the back of my car in a month. <laughs> With, and it's funny because they weren't, they weren't that wrong. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, I can imagine that at some point, and we'll get to this point of your story, you, that you may have had some p potential regret for making the move. There, there might have been a sign. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know... Um, I definitely knew it was a risk and, um, you know, I, I really had to, you know, rely on, uh, just trust the idea of trust, like within myself, trust of some type of a higher power that everything would kind of fall into place. Uh, although there's no guarantee that, that it would, or that things ever will. Right. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, the crux of the story, 
you know, it turned out to be, you know, harder than I would have imagined just based on circumstances outside my control. And that was namely uh, Hurricane Sandy, which hit uh, about a couple months into my move. And I was, I was still unsettled. I had not yet really established myself. I did not have a job. I did not have an apartment. I was still really, you know, struggling to get by. Right. And I, I finally uh, found an apartment and signed a lease. It was my first lease in New York City. I felt great. Didn't have a job yet, but at least I felt like I had a place I could stay. And uh, the next day after I signed the lease to my apartment, uh, out of nowhere, Hurricane Sandy smacks into New York City and completely uh, destroys my apartment. Uh, and then on top of everything else I was dealing with, you know, suddenly I was uh, I was homeless uh, as well. The the metaphor of that is almost breathtakingly um, ridiculous, right? It almost feels like, boy, uh, the absurdity of something that has really. Uh, I, I, my best friend lives in Manhattan, and you know, um, and to hear him describe what that was like, um, you know. Uh, this must have felt so, so bizarre to you because Mike's lived there for 25 years and he said nothing like this has ever happened save 9-11, you know, but, you know, nothing, yeah. uh, no act of God for, uh, let's say, has taken place other than this hurricane, which really threw everybody's um, keel way off course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I felt like it was unfair because... You know, I thought I was doing everything right. Yeah. You know, I was trying to live according to, you know, a higher purpose. And I thought I was following, you know, some type of a calling that I had. Uh, and then this is what happens. Right. Uh, so it did feel a little bit unfair. It's like I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And then I this is this is what happens. It's like it really makes you question, you know, whether or not you're on some type of a path or not. Right. I can imagine. I can imagine. So. So what happens from there? So what does a guy do when his apartment is effectively underwater and he's he's into it for a year? Yeah. So basically, what happened was I what I did was you know uh, I followed the, the advice of a friend who uh, what he said was you know because I what I didn't say is I was my my apartment was actually on uh, a beach that was in the uh, the Rockaways. Uh, the bottom of Queens um, on the water, which is why it was so devastatingly affected by the hurricane. Right. So what my friend said was, well, when when the universe takes away your beach house, it's time to find a bigger beach. Uh, <laughs> You've got to love so, that. <laughs> so I got to love that. I had nowhere to go. I had I had just uh, the the very last of my money I spent uh, getting a one way ticket to uh, to Puerto Rico, where I then. Uh, you know, flew out to this tiny little island 17 miles east of Puerto Rico called Culebra. And, um, you know, it seems silly, but I, I felt like I had nowhere else to go. And there was this kind of uh, a little cottage that, you know, my friend had a friend who owned it and it was empty and available. And I said, hey, why not? You know, it's go clear my head, get out, get away from the city, which was just really in a state of devastation and, you know, be alone with my thoughts and just try to recoup and kind of get back on my feet a little bit. Was that the idea of going to Culebra, which, I mean, what, what an adventure this sounds like already that you didn't anticipate, but, um, you know, was that the idea? Like I'll get my head together and then I'll get back to the game. Whatever yeah, the game I, 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 
Yeah, I really had no idea. I, f- I felt like I had no footing. Uh, I felt like I had no home. So it was really the first time in my life where I had to let go completely and say, you know, I'm open to whatever the universe, you know, has in store for me. And I, I didn't force anything because there was nothing to force. You know, I was, right. I was, I was already trying and trying and trying to, to make it work and to get a job and to do all these things that just, it all just, you know, fell apart. So I let myself go completely. I really embraced this idea of surrender and just kind of listened. Yeah. 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 Were you afraid? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, worry, fear, anxiety, you know, these are all words that, you know, probably applied to my, <laughs> to, to my mental state at the time. Um, so it was really a situation where I had no, you know, I, I could either, you know, go into a nervous breakdown and kind of succumb to that anxiety, or I could, you know, just dig deep within myself and find you know, the, the trust, uh, find that inner confidence and just that conviction that, you know, I actually was on a path that there was a purpose to everything I was dealing with. So, you know, it was, it was traumatic and it was difficult and it, you know, it caused a lot of worry in my life. Um, but at the same time, it really forced me to, to, to dig deep, to explore my own, you know, consciousness and to find stability where I really didn't have any. Got it. Got it. So, so somewhere along the line, you um, you come up with the idea, or you revisit maybe in your life the idea of ego. Um, does this happen on Culebra? Yeah. So essentially, um, I'm on I'm on Culebra, a uh, small beautiful island. There's really you know it's it's kind of locals that live there, maybe a, a couple thousand people beautiful beaches and 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 not a lot of tourists if any so describe it beautifully in your book it makes me want to see culebra thank (laughs) you point in my life yeah it's really it's really kind of untouched it's uh you know some beautiful white sand beaches uh you know all to yourself and what happened was i was i was basically sitting on the beach uh alone and you know hearing all of you know, these negative voices in my head saying, oh, you know, you're a failure. You know, why did you do this? You know, things aren't going to work out. Uh, and I was just, you know, all my insecurities, all my fears really came to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I just made the decision to sit with them and to not react, not to buy into the narrative that my that my mind was telling me, this narrative of self-doubt, this narrative of insecurity. And because I didn't buy into those ideas, I was able to to observe them right. almost as a, as a third party. Yep. And I could see that these voices, they were not the real me. You know, I, I could remove myself from them and say, okay, this is a voice in my head that is not me. And that's kind of when I recognized this idea of my own ego. And it's kind of when I, you know, came into contact, so to speak, and 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 realized that there is this kind of, you know, this ongoing narrative that was kind of always there, giving me kind of negative reinforcements, really my whole life. And I realized that, you know, not only myself but most people just kind of follow this narrative that's in their head that's causing them pain, causing them stress, causing them anxiety, and. 
we buy into that thinking that this is just reality. This is the truth. This is the universe. This is what we're, we have to deal with. And, this is, and to some extent, this is our fate, right? This is where this is my life. Yeah, it's like this is what life is. Why do you think, um, be, being um, students of the ego, why, why do you think our egos do this to us? You know, like, why is that narrative always negative? Why is it always about self-doubt, insecurity, and failure? Why is it not something that bolsters us? Do you have a thought about that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it bolsters us as well, but in the wrong type of way. I mean, I think that one thing that people think about the ego is that it just means that, you know, you think that you are, you know, so great. It's like, I have a big, he has a big ego. He thinks that he's, you know, know, he's the guy. He's the shit. He's (laughs) the great, he's so great. Like he's boastful and, um, you know, um, narcissistic and arrogant. So in a way the ego can boost you up, but it boosts you up from a place of lack and insecurity rather than from a place of like truth or purpose. So the ego can really pump you up or it can, you know, tear you down. But regardless, it's coming from a place of being reactionary and, you know, and, and fear-based. So really all it is, is our, you know, our shadow mind or so to speak, or, you know, what I say in my book at some point is it's the dark side of the imagination. Oh my God. I so love <laughs> that. I, that is, that is beautiful. Um, and so, um, in your narrative, how does one shift from kind of like letting that dark side of the imagination, that shadow mind drive your life and what you do to, to literally, you know, the, the 180 degree polar opposite? Is that, was that organic to you or was, did, that have, did it require intention and deliberation um, and all your strength? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think it depends on, on where a person's at in their life uh, and how ingrained they are to you know, the feedback of the ego, because, um, basically the most important thing for me in my life that I've recognized is, is, is being aware of the voice and having the, uh, just the presence of mind to, to, to listen to your own thoughts without buying into them. Yes. So it's practice. It's, it's, it's available at any time. But because we are so habitually trained to, you know, blindly uh, obey, you know, the voice of the ego, we tend to, uh, you know, forget that we don't have to. So um, practice is is so important and practice can mean different things to to anyone. You know, this idea of mindfulness is is very popular right now, uh, which I think is great. Yes. and, and, and certainly a lot of mindfulness practices have, have, have helped me kind of sustain that uh, over the years. You know, before Calabria, I was never uh, involved in things like yoga or meditation, uh, things of that nature. And, and since then, since I realized that, you know, I needed to create some kind of a, a greater awareness to, you know, decipher what, what thoughts were valuable in serving me and which thoughts were not, uh, so now, you know, a daily practice of meditation, uh, yoga, uh, things like this, I think are so critical to maintaining that, you know, that perspective where you don't get, you know, just swept away by your thoughts. Like I make the analogy of, um, you know, the brain is like an ocean 
and the thoughts and the ego are just the ripples on the surface of the ocean. And we tend to see these ripples on the surface of the ocean and we buy into them and we think, oh, this is, you know, this is a reality. It's, 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 you know, it's unpredictable. It's, you know, it's tough. There's big shifts and waves and they, they push us up and pull us down. But the truth is that we are not the waves on the surface of the ocean. We are the vast consciousness uh, beneath the surface. So it's really about, you know, disassociating our own thoughts from the, the waves and, and, and reassociating ourselves with, you know, the stillness of the, the ocean itself. I love that analogy so much. I love to think of the mind as the ocean, uh, James. That is just absolutely brilliant because I, I like the idea that that broad, enormous um, calm underneath is, is our conscious mind. You know, like that, that is... Um, it's a calming thought, it's a, and it's um, and it's a hopeful thought, and I and I like the idea of practice as well um, because I think a lot of us in the in the age of mindfulness um, and and consciousness and yoga and meditation, um, we judge ourselves when we're at the surface, right? And and uh, and then we get stuck there, kind of in judgment and ego, right? Like I should be better at yoga or meditating. And and in a way that keeps us in this space right at the surface and doesn't allow us to get into the depth. But when we remove the judgment and say, you know what, it's okay. It's gonna happen sometimes. But if you get into a practice of dipping down underneath that surface, you'll find your calm space. And, and the more you practice, the more you'll be able to access that. Is that kind of how it feels to you? Yeah, absolutely. There's one phrase I really like that's, uh, there's no right way to meditate. <laughs> and yes. I think that's, it's, it's so true. And I think it's also, there's no right way to have a mindfulness practice. Uh, I think that things like that get a bad rap at times because people you know, associated with some type of a religion or a belief right. or, a, or a faith or a doctrine. And, you know, to me, it's none of, it's none of those things. I think that, you know, the idea of a, of a dogmatic religion and following something in that regard is, uh, is not what we're talking about at all. Uh, I think what's really cool about, you know, American culture is this idea that we take things from all around the world and we mix them together and create something new, you know, whether it's food and we just, you know, we have every type of food you could ever want here because we just kind of take what works and make it ours or music. You know, we take music from here and take music from there and we mix it all together to, to create something new uh, that's ours. And I think that we're seeing the same thing now with, you know, quote unquote mindfulness which is, you know, a new type of, you know, non-religious spirituality right. where, you know, you don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to be, you know, a Hindu to do yoga. You don't have to be a Christian to believe in a higher power. You know, we just take what works and we apply it to our own lives and we test things and we, you know, maybe you will try a Zen meditation one day and then a Kundalini meditation another day. And we just, you know, find what resonates with us and go with it. And none of them are right or none of them are wrong. It's just a matter of finding what works for us and then doing it with, you know, some degree of conviction. I never really thought about our culture in that way, James. I, I, I like that idea that, you know, like we, you, you can create your own amalgam. You can, you can find the way that works for you. Um, and I think a lot of us are, are pretty deft at doing that once we're on this line of, um, 
putting our anxieties at bay and working toward being more present and available to, to moments. Um, and yet, I found myself, as you're speaking, almost indicting our culture for, for the problem in the first place. You know, I think about the, what we think of in terms of success, you know, and, um, you know, is there an argument that you walked away from success or that you found it? And how do we define that in the first place? Does that play in your mind? Does that play any role here in terms of like um, getting underneath the surface? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we it's the it's the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, American culture is the greatest, and it's also you know the worst. And <laughs> well, all good. of these things can coexist. I think that you know to get uh, there's a quote I love by by Walt Whitman. Um, there there is never any more heaven or hell than there is now is is what he said, and that's true in all times. Meaning, you know, life can be um, you know a struggle, a challenge. It can be living hell, um, or life can be beautiful and easy and blissful. And these states completely coexist. So. Um, you know, it's up to us where we tune in our consciousness, uh, and then there, and then from there, make changes to our lives in order to, you know, change the reality that we experience. Yeah. So I think that the same way that we have to kind of move away from the surface level of our own thinking and go deeper, um, that's the same in our culture. You know, uh, on the surface of our culture, we're being asked to. Uh, um, you, you know, be competitive and, you know, fight over resources and work ourselves to the bone, you know, especially here in New York. Um, (laughs) but you know, there's this great, you know, you know, you know, quote unquote counterculture, um, that's always been here uh, in America. And I think now we're seeing the counterculture kind of manifest itself in these little spiritual groups. Uh, and there are, you know, it, again, it's nothing to do with religion, but it's people who understand, you know, how great reality can be when we live with some sense of mindfulness and spirituality. And, um, you know, the more I've gone deeper into myself, I've found pockets of these groups and these people, um, you know, great, you know, retreat centers, meditation centers, uh, and people who are really, you know, support your practice and help you kind of maintain that, that kind of lifestyle. Right, right, right. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking about like the beginning of your story where you talk about kind of like when you're a child and you're drawn toward, you, you just mentioned Whitman, and, um, and you're drawn toward these writers and the idea of writing when you're, when you're a kid, creating. Um, and somewhere along the line, a lot of us kind of fall off of that. Um, is, is a lot of um, your message, does it involve getting back in touch with something you already know that you knew when, you, when we were children and we've just kind of put all these layers of adult-like ego on top of these things? Yeah, I, I think that's, I think you nailed it. You know, there's one, one thing I like to say is life is easy when you remember who you are. So oh, that's beautiful, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> Listen I, to that twice, people. <laughs> yeah. Life is easy when you remember who you are. I don't think the essence of who we are changes. 
you know, I think that it's, it's, it never goes away. It's, it's always there. It's like love never goes away. It's always there. We just forget about it. Right. We're just distracted. And I don't think it's ever too late to, you know, make changes, uh, to peel away the layers of ego, the layers of, you know, the, the society expectations, um, all of this, this conditioning that our culture gives us, um, that, only needs to be peeled away. These are just the layers of clothes that we're wearing. But, you know, when it comes down to our naked selves, that's always the same. We can we can put on a coat, we can put on, you know, a, a football jersey, we can put on a swimsuit, we can put on any <laughs> any clothing we want, but our true self, our naked self uh always is there and that always stays the same. We just have to return to it. So I think I hear you saying that we have to honor that naked self, that that self that's underneath all those all those layers, all that clothing. Um, I don't know if you if you fancy yourself a parenting expert, but I already consider you a parenting expert. And I work with <laughs> a lot of kids, and I, and I, and I do a lot with parents as well. Um, and here in in the suburbs of Chicago, um, I find that that parents sometimes drive these ego um, issues and these their own ego needs through their kids you know I want I want you to get into an ivy I want you to get on that team and be the the highest scorer whatever it is um, is is there a message woven in shit your ego says for parents God I I hope so uh, not <laughs> I think so not, not not explicitly you know I don't I don't have my, my kids myself. Uh, but I, but I do have enough, you know, friends with kids and, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that if there was a message, uh, for parents, it would be to, you know, I, th- I think that kids for the most part, um, they, they, they're, we're all born with some type of an internal, you know, compass, uh, our internal kind of guidance system. And I, you know, and again, I don't have kids, but I, I do think it's, it's, it's important to, you know, provide, the protection and, you know, just the ability to allow our children to, you know, become, just become themselves as opposed to, to, to forcing them into a certain direction. Yeah. 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 No, I love that. Um, so I can imagine that people might be interested in whether through this process, um, in your life, whether you've, found the bliss you've been looking for, whether you've found that space that's ego-free, what's your life like now and where are you headed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, there are moments of bliss, cert- certainly. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I'm i more in touch with, with myself and, and, and with happiness in general, um, y- you, know, you know, since going through this, this process and these discoveries. But what I've also learned is that it's a never-ending process because, um, you know, the journey back to ourselves is, is a long journey. Yes. So there's, there's continuously new, new layers of the onion, um, you know, to peel open and we're always finding new challenges to, to work through. So there's, I don't, I'm not a big fan of this idea of, you know, enlightenment or, you know, I've reached the mountaintop, you know, right. I don't really, I don't quite believe that that mountaintop exists. I think it's, it's a journey, it's a road, it's a path. And it's just important to be on that path. Yeah. Uh, and being on the path, it doesn't matter where you are on the path. There are people that are light years more, quote, enlightened than me. 
And, you know, it doesn't matter. The fact is we're all on our journey. And once you start going on that journey within yourself, you're already a winner no matter what stage you're at. Uh, That's my opinion. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of if you're on the journey, you're, you're in the right spot. Right. And then there's no judgment necessary, you know, and you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. Yeah. 100%. And then, you know, in terms of what's next is, you know, luckily this experience, um, you know, as, as challenging as, as it was and, and unexpected as it was, it, it gave me a story uh, to write. And now, you know, with the release of Shit Your Ego Says, you know, I, I've actually, you know, coincidentally gone back to my childhood in terms of wanting to be a writer. And it's, it, it, it allowed me to do that. So, you know, now I'm just working on uh, more projects, you know, the next book and, um, you know, carrying on with that momentum that, that it gave me. So the book uh, is available in bookstores or Amazon, uh, just search shit. Your ego says, and uh, you can find me at shityourego-says.com. And on Instagram, I uh, my name is also shit your ego says. So the, the, those are the best places to find me. John, this was great. Thanks so much for having me. You can find this podcast online at iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, which is affiliated with IPEC Coaching School, and WGN Plus. On my website, there is a free parenting program, uh, DrJohnDuffy.com. If you are a parent, I strongly encourage you to check that out. Uh, some really good ideas there. Uh, if you have thoughts or ideas uh, for this podcast or if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, uh, please email me at John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the Undo Anxiety Podcast.